Uh, good morning and welcome to your DIY Health Radio here on the Spreaker Radio Network. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. You can call me Sarge. It's Thursday, May 18th, 2023, and TFR is still down, still rebuilding their network. So we're uh, just here on Spreaker and um, uh, simulcasting on uh, Jitsi and free conference call. So you can go to the website, uh, yourdiyhealth.com. Click the radio shows tab and find the information about how you can check out the shows, listen on the different venues, and get the downloads and replays and all that good stuff. So anyway, this program is meant to provide natural healing information only and is in no way meant to replace the advice of a competent medical professional, assuming you can find one. I search for and present to my listeners natural modalities that simply assist and augment the body's ability to heal itself. The body wants to fix itself. The body knows how to fix itself. It has a God-given innate ability to do so. The only thing that's missing is the raw materials. And when you put those back into the mix, stand back and wait to be amazed because your body's going to do some really cool stuff. Now you can visit my website at yourdiyhealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R-D-I-Y, like do-it-yourself, health, H-E-A-L-T-H, yourdiyhealth.com. There's all kinds of information there. All the products we talk about are there, including the Itericare device, which is featured prominently at the top of the home page. There's lots of information about that little thing. There's uh, downloadable flyers and brochures. Uh, there's a link to the YouTube playlist. It has probably 130 or so videos up there talking about the technology, how it's used, and testimonials from people all over the world that have had fantastic results using these things. And then, of course, uh, if you scroll down a little further, Uh, You'll see all the information about all the other stuff we handle, and um, just have fun with it. Also, there's a dedicated link for the iTeraCare device where you can get more information, more testimonials, and you can place an order. And right now, the warehouses have plenty of stock, and uh, the device in the U.S. is $380 delivered to your door, usually within two to three days. Uh, No extra charges or anything. That's the flat price, $380. And just uh, click the order now button, follow the links, and uh, follow the um, uh, prompts and whatnot, and you'll be in good shape. You'll have it in your hands in a couple of days. And these things are absolutely amazing. People are finding all kinds of things that they're helping their bodies reverse from. And uh, just encourage you to get one, try it out, because you never know uh, with the things going on in the world today, the supply chain could be disrupted. You may not be able to get one here in the near future because getting stuff uh, delivered inside from out of the country can be awful tough. And then at the same time, um, if your doctor's office isn't open, if you're, you know, the, everything is shut down, no pharmacies, no nothing else, this thing is going to be a godsend at that point because... A lot of people call it a dock in a box or a mini med bed. Um, Things people have recovered from uh, just by using these devices, which they're not medical devices. They simply give terahertz frequencies to your body. Your body knows what to do with them. Your body takes those things and uses them to help uh, heal itself from all kinds of different things. And we've seen results, people from everything from skin tags to cancer disappearing Uh, because their bodies now have what they need to fix themselves and it's just an amazing amazing device so uh, get one while you can better yet get two or three while you can so anyway um, keep in mind well getting ahead of myself again while you're on the uh, site make sure you hit the radio shows tab top of the page is the link to the archive page set up through castbox.fm 
and there's probably 1,200 shows up there now. We're pretty close to it at this point. Uh, they're shareable via email and social media, which we encourage you to do. And if you scroll down a little further, you'll see the information about the shows we do, when they're on, and how you listen. And with things up in the air right now with the different venues that we're normally on, uh, I'll keep that up to date as, as regularly as I possibly can. And uh, it shows all the information about how you can access the shows, how you can interact. Um, Jitsi and Free Conference Call are great uh, platforms that not only allow you to listen to the show, and not just on your computer, but on your uh, smartphones as well. And uh, you can carry the shows with you. And uh, basically, they also have the ability to allow you to interact. You can use your microphone on your computer or your uh, smartphone and uh, talk to me and uh, ask questions and that kind of thing. And then also uh, on, the, on the Spreaker platform, uh, all the shows that we have done since September 12th of last year are archived there. And uh, they're not only uh, listenable uh, during, you know, as a replay, but they're downloadable as well. So, uh, and they're all annotated as what we talked about and that kind of thing. So, uh, it's a great platform. I encourage you to take advantage of it. So, uh, keep in mind the topics discussed and opinions mentioned on the show are those of the host and or guests and don't necessarily represent the opinions of the Spreaker Radio Network, the uh, Jitsi platform, free conference call, their owners or sponsors, or any of the alphabet agencies out there listening in. Nothing we see in this show should be construed as an attempt to diagnose, treat, or cure any kind of a health or wealth issue. It's all here for your education and entertainment purposes only. So as a responsible adult, you can use this show as a jumping off point to do your own research and due diligence to make sure that what you're doing and what you're trying is right for you. The number to call into the show, if you so desire, if you're not on one of the uh, platforms that allow you to interact directly, is uh, 614-499-2409. Excuse me a second. Sorry about that. I had sneezed. Didn't want you to have to listen to that. <laughs> and my sneezes come in pairs for some reason, so I had to sneeze twice. But we got that out of the way. Had something up my snout. But <laughs> we got it all cleared out now. Anyway, what I was saying, uh, 614-499-2409 is the number to call in if you're listening on Spreaker. Uh, because the other platforms allow you to interact directly with your systems. Uh, but 614 499 2409 is the number to call in so uh, or you can get on the jitsi platform or the uh, telegram channel or excuse me, not telegram but uh, uh, free conference call and uh, use their systems to talk directly you just have to enable your microphone which is pretty cool so um, that being said that's pretty much all the housekeeping stuff and uh, you know it's it is thursday you know, I, uh, I came across a new book called Dissolving Illusions that I really, really, really like the subtitle of it. I have it here in my hot little hands. It came yesterday. Dissolving Illusions, Disease, Vaccines, and the Forgotten History by Suzanne Humphreys, M.D. and Roman Bistrianic. And it's a big book. It's... Um, all the numbered pages, 504, and what's really, really cool about this book 
is they have graphs that they have put together based on um, government numbers that show that virtually every vaccine brought out, including measles, smallpox, uh, whooping cough, basically, you know, the, uh, the standard mantra from the AMA, the American Murder Association and Big Pharma, is that all these terrible childhood vac- uh, uh, illnesses were deadly and they were basically shot down and gotten rid of by vaccines. You know, that's what you hear all the time. If it wasn't for vaccines, we'd still have all these terrible illnesses. And um, I'm trying to find, I had a video on it, if I can figure out what I did with it. Um, hmm. Let's see here. Ah, here we go. I'm going to play this video because it's really, really good. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a, an introduction, if I can get the thing set here. Alrighty then. Here we go. This is an introduction to um, Dissolving Illusions. Now, there's a little music at the beginning, but then it gets into the uh, uh, narration part. Here we go. technologically advanced world, access to limitless amounts of information has never been greater. However, with this abundance of information comes a great deal of complexity and confusion. Because we can get overwhelmed, we often leave the interpretation of this avalanche of data to those that we might believe are experts. Unfortunately, the interpretation of facts and events can be manipulated and shaped by those in power to often reinforce their preconceived notions and serve their own agendas. Governments, institutions, companies, and organizations often try to control the narrative to maintain their hold on power and secure their profits using the media as a tool to shape public opinion. As informed citizens, it is our responsibility to critically evaluate the information we are presented with, to question its authenticity and validity, and to seek out the truth. By using our innate intelligence to educate ourselves and break free from their control, we can empower ourselves to make informed decisions and take control of our own destinies. One area of particular interest to us is the topic of infectious diseases. By studying historical data, we can gain a deeper understanding of how these diseases have affected populations in the past and see if the measures taken to prevent or treat them were effective or necessary. This knowledge can help us make better decisions and take appropriate actions to protect ourselves and our communities. When it comes to understanding complex information, a mortality chart is a powerful tool. This graphical representation allows us to easily visualize death rates for a specific population over time, providing a clear and accurate picture of trends and patterns. 
A mortality chart standardizes the data by expressing the death rate as a number of deaths per 100,000 individuals. This allows for a fair comparison over time regardless of population size changes. The chart's vertical y-axis displays the death rate as numbers of deaths per 100,000 individuals, and the horizontal x-axis represents the years. With this visual representation, we can quickly and easily identify trends in death rates and observe the impact of interventions on death rates over time. For example, let's take a closer look at the impact of measles on mortality rates. In the United States, national mortality statistics for measles were first compiled in 1900. The mortality rate is represented on the vertical y-axis expressed as deaths per 100,000 individuals. The horizontal x-axis shows the years beginning in 1900 and ending in 1970. As the years progress, the chart demonstrates fluctuations in the number of deaths caused by measles with an overall trend of decreasing deaths over time. The measles injection was introduced in 1963, and as you can see on the chart, the death rate for measles had been reduced by a striking 98.6% from its peak by that time. Similarly, in England, national mortality statistics for measles were first compiled much earlier in 1838. Similar to the United States, the number of deaths for measles fluctuated throughout the years. Throughout the 1800s, the trend for measles deaths was relatively stable. However, a substantial downward trend began to emerge toward the end of the century, continuing throughout the 1900s. The measles injection was introduced in 1968, and by that point, the death rate from measles had decreased by an astounding 99.8% from its peak, almost 100%. These charts are made from official government data, which is widely available and easily accessible to governments, institutions, companies, and organizations. These statistics are rock solid, providing us with a clear picture of the impact of measles on mortality rates over time. The charts created from this data in the 1960s can even be found on the CDC website, serving as a testament to the accuracy and reliability of this information. Furthermore, it's worth noting that every other infectious disease, whooping cough, scarlet fever, tuberculosis, typhoid, diphtheria, flu, pneumonia, and others, experience a simultaneous decline along with measles. From the late 1800s into the early 1900s, they all dropped dramatically. By the 1950s and 60s, death rates from all these diseases had decreased by 90% to 100% without the need for any injections or major medical interventions. Even the much talked about smallpox, which was once a highly deadly disease, remained deadly until the end of the 1800s but then collapsed by 1920 when it became a mild disease often confused with chickenpox. This decline in death rates for these infectious diseases is not just a coincidence, but rather as a result of the significant improvements in living conditions, sanitation, nutrition, and other factors that occurred during this time period. These changes helped to create a healthier population, which in turn made them less vulnerable to these diseases. So much so that by the early 1900s, so-called infectious diseases were not considered to be of any serious concern. It's important to note that this decline in death rates from these diseases occurred long before the introduction of injections and other medical interventions. It is a testament to the power of public health measures in preventing deaths and improving the well-being of populations. The decline in death due to these diseases serves as a powerful reminder that we have the ability to control and prevent these diseases. With this crucial information in mind, it's natural to ask some important questions. Why isn't this information more widely known? 
Why aren't governments, institutions, companies, organizations, and the media highlighting this information? Where are the investigations, documentaries, and public hearings on this topic? Why don't organizations such as the CDC, World Health Organization, doctors, pediatricians, and others prominently display these charts and making this information more widely available? Why are medical journals not providing this information to their readers? If over 98% to 100% of measles deaths were prevented without injections, why was a new method using injections implemented and made mandatory for everyone? Does this massive decline in measles deaths without injections disprove germ theory? If something so fundamental and easily accessible has been missed or ignored, what other important information have authorities and experts mishandled? How could data hidden in plain sight have been missed or ignored for so long? How can we trust these systems and the information they provide if they are not transparent and forthcoming with such important knowledge? These are important questions that deserve to be examined and answered. It highlights the importance of critical thinking, questioning, and investigation in understanding the facts and making informed decisions. Only by doing so can we hope to uncover the truth and make better decisions for ourselves, our communities, and our world. Once we realize the illusion we have been living under for decades, we can break free and take control of our own health and happiness. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live under a totalitarian medical state where we are treated like criminals because we don't believe the prevailing medical dogma disguised as science. It is essential to be vigilant and stay informed, for only through knowledge and understanding can we hope to find the truth, be empowered, and truly be free. We must question the information presented to us, do our own research, and be critical of the sources of information. Only by doing so can we hope to make informed decisions and live the life we want. We can take back the power we have so freely given away. We can stop being obedient followers and start being informed and educated individuals. We can take control of our own lives, make our own choices, and live the way we want to. We can be healthier, happier, and at peace. We can be free. Thank you for watching. References and links are down below. If you thought this information was valuable, please like and share. If you agree or disagree with anything, please respectfully comment. We all learn when we share and consider other people's views. Please visit DissolvingIllusions.com for free charts, photos, book chapters, book audio, and more. Please visit MovingBackFromMidnight.com which contains information on my new book on the major environmental issues we face as a planet including free book chapters, photos, and more. In this time of increasing censorship and attacks on free speech, please watch my videos on odyssey.com. Thank you and have a stellar day! And there you have it. Um, excellent uh, breakdown. And this book is uh, one of my two new favorites. <laughs> I've been reading another one... Um, uh, that I it's about 700 and some pages uh, along the same lines uh, getting uh, dealing with the uh, illusion of uh, uh, the germ theory uh, vaccines and all that kind of stuff that book uh, kind of approaches it from a slightly different um, angle that one's called what uh, 
what really makes you ill, why everything you thought you knew about disease is wrong. And it covers primarily the germ theory, but it also looks at the, uh, the bioweapon jabs and that kind of stuff. But Dissolving Illusions is geared more towards, um, I think it deals with the germ theory somewhat too, but it looks like it's uh, hitting heavier on, uh, you know, the history of uh, how we got these diseases in the first place. And one of the things I found very interesting was in chapter one, well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, uh, the two authors, Suzanne Humphreys, who, if you're familiar, if you've been involved with the uh, vaccination movement for any length of time, or the anti-vax movement, I guess you could say, uh, or the truth about vaccines, uh, Suzanne Humphreys uh, is an MD, and uh, she's been involved for quite some time with this stuff. Uh, she's features in, in the Vaxxed series, uh, Vaxxed 1, Vaxxed 2. Um, and uh, something I found out from this book that I didn't know earlier was that uh, she was a nephrologist, a kidney doctor. And she first got involved in this when the H1N1 flu uh, jabs were put out and her patients were starting to experience uh, kidney shutdown. You know, they had been in perfect shape pretty much or, you know, they, um, you know, people would come to her uh, with kidney issues that never had kidney issues before and they were fine before they took the H1N1 shot. And that started raising some eyebrows for her. And uh, she found it very interesting that over the uh, history, you know, if other things had um, popped up like medications uh, that might possibly cause problems with uh, kidneys, uh, she would mention that and it would immediately be taken out of a protocol. Uh, people would listen to her. But when it became a vaccine that was causing the problem, um, she met with great resistance and people told her she was crazy. There's nothing wrong with vaccines. They're safe and effective. They don't hurt anything, you know, all that kind of stuff. The typical lies we're used to, but that was a, it was an eye opening event for her. And, uh, uh, that's when she started really digging into it and ended up walking away from a very lucrative career as a nephrologist to devote her time to dealing with this kind of stuff. The other author, Roman Bistrianic, is another physician, and uh, I'm just going to read his opening statement. His, this is his introduction. My journey began many years ago with the birth of my children. I always wanted to make sure that they had the best I could provide, healthy food, a secure place to live, lots of toys, and plenty of caring, laughing, and love. When it came time to have them vaccinated, I had assumed, like most parents, that it was a good idea. It had to be government. It had to be governments, medical professionals, and just about everyone agreed that vaccines were one of the greatest medical discoveries of all time. Measles, whooping cough, smallpox, and all sorts of other horrible infectious diseases were nowhere to be seen thanks to vaccines. I'm by nature an inquisitive and questioning person, and something didn't sit right with me about vaccination. A nagging inner voice kept telling me that I should know more about these injections going into my family. Somehow, I knew I shouldn't completely and blindly accept that vaccines were safe and effective. At this point, I knew almost nothing about vaccines. But as I began to do some reading, I found some disturbing bits of information that built upon my baseline apprehension. 
But because of the amount of pressure from doctors and my wife at the time, my children had received some vaccines. In the past, I felt enormously guilty after agreeing to allow my sons to be injected, and I hoped no terrible side effects would occur. I remember staying up at night, feeling distraught after agreeing to give them an injection and hoping nothing major would happen to them. I was overwhelmed with worry, wondering if I had done the right thing by succumbing to the pressure to have them vaccinated. Nothing overt appeared to happen, and they seemed to emerge basically unscathed. Despite being told that vaccines were harmless, I was still left with a feeling that maybe I had done something wrong. I started keeping files with the information I was finding in an attempt to make sense of it all. Eventually, I ran across a book by Neil Z. Miller. In it, Miller showed a graph of deaths from needles that had, been declined, that had declined by 95% before the measles vaccine. Excuse me. Miller showed a graph of death from measles that had declined by 95% before the measles vaccine was put into general use. I couldn't believe it. Wasn't the decline of deaths from the disease the claim to fame for vaccines? Wasn't this the main reason for vaccinating? Could this graph be correct? That graph left me with an irksome yet simple question. Were vaccines really responsible for the decline in mortality from infectious disease and the eradication of certain diseases? It was important for me to remain objective. My goal was to get to the truth. It seemed that this obvious question should be easy to answer. After all, vaccines have been around for more than 100 years. Surely the CDC or some medical organization would have a large database of mortality and disease rates available. I was amazed that this wasn't the case. Data that I sought wasn't that easy to find. I thought it was strange that the data wasn't on public display for the world to see, especially if vaccines had defeated the deadly infectious diseases in the past. Where was the proof? Okay, what's going on here? Okay, Nick and or Vicky, whoever it is. Uh, your mic is now working, but you got to mute yourself because I'm hearing your TV in the background. <laughs> yeah, hit the mute button down at the bottom left of the menu. There you go. Thank you. Uh, let me get my book back up here. <laughs> I'm glad you got the problem fixed, though. Uh, let's see here. Where was I? Uh, where was the proof? I continued to research vaccination and spent countless hours at the Yale Medical uh, Library, as well as other research libraries. I located some mortality data and started gathering statistics from different sources and entered it into a computer spreadsheet program. Few medical journals referenced historic mortality data, and those that did made no mention of something that uh, now became clear to me. Looking at the data from the United States starting from 1900, the measles, measles mortality rate had declined by more than 98% before the introduction of the vaccine. Even more shocking was that the same data revealed that whooping cough mortality had declined by more than 90% before the DTP vaccine was introduced. 
I was stunned that no one I knew, including my son's doctors, had carefully examined this fundamental belief that vaccines were responsible for the massive decline in deaths from measles and whooping cough. I now realize that the belief that vaccines were essential in eliminating the threat of, the, of at least these two diseases was based on a myth. There must have been other factors that led to so much dramatic decline in mortality before vaccine introduction. I presented a great deal of information to the mother of my children. Even though she was an educated nurse, she found it impossible to accept what I showed her. On a weekend not long after, I noticed that all three of my children were very sick. I examined them more closely and saw that they all had high fevers and extremely red eyes. I couldn't imagine why they were all so sick. I called their mother and found out that they had, without my knowledge or consent, gotten the DTP, MMR, and polio shots all in one visit. A rush of emotion swept over me. I was angry, upset, worried, and devastated. One of my most important health decisions involving my children had been stripped away from me. The children were very ill all weekend. One of my boys kept having sporadic shooting pains in one eye that recurred intermittently for a couple of months and ultimately seemed to resolve. By this time, I had accumulated a vast amount of information and hard data. It seemed more likely that we had been misled to believe that the uh, that vaccination was responsible for eliminating the, the notorious diseases and devastation of the past. I wondered how statistics and information from medical journals were completely disregarded. That brought me to an, un, under, an un, excuse me, that brought me to an understanding of how easily people can be ensnared in a faulty belief system. Assurances from medical authorities that, out of love and responsibility, parents should vaccinate their children were all most people needed to hear. I gained clarity that there was an underlying societal belief in vaccines that was not based on history or evidence. That belief is maintained by a public that, main, that remains fundamentally subservient and obedient to government and medical hierarchies that may not have or deserve their trust. Several years after my children had that vaccine reaction, one of them collapsed. Subsequent EEG electroencephalogram tracings reflected abnormal brain waves consistent with seizures. From my research, I couldn't help but suspect that the vaccines had caused neurological damage. The neurologist told me that nothing nutritionally could be done to help with the seizures. Unwilling to accept this, I did my own research and found studies in medical journals that showed certain nutrients could make up a significant difference, or could make a significant difference. I put my son on a protocol of omega-3 fatty acids, B-complex, magnesium, and other nutrients, and an organic diet. Happily, after a few months, the EEG revealed no seizure activity. Not only was I thrilled that my son's condition had improved, but the experience had again shown me the power of belief systems. In this case, the belief that nutrients and diet had no effect on brain health was absolutely wrong. Conventional medical journals contained this information using nutrients to stop seizures, but shockingly, the information was just not being used by the medical profession. Each one of these experiences propelled me to continue my research. 
I obtained data from many sources that led me to solidify and round out my my hypothesis that vaccines were not were, respo- were not responsible for the decline in deaths from infectious diseases. Now I was left with new questions: What did cause the decline in infectious disease? Why was there such a rock solid belief that vaccines were responsible? What was the true history? I continued to pour through hundreds of medical journals and long-overlooked books, magazines, and newspapers from the 1800s through and early 1900s. I found thousands of pages that painted a new picture. I was astonished that an amazing, or that an amazing and exciting history had all been tossed in the basement of libraries and possibly lost forever. This new information revealed to me a radically different view of life in the 1800s. I also discovered how science can go horribly wrong when uh, we can easily become captured by a belief system that is built on a shaky and flawed foundation. How often do we believe in something not because we have done in-depth research on it, but because authority figures tell us it is the truth? What if what we believe is just an illusion? I hope that you find the information in this book, graphs, quote-filled chapters, and more in interesting addition to what you believe. I think the pages of each chapter will provide a unique insight and share a different light on what really is a hidden past. For some of you, this might be a startling point to begin questioning what you may have innocently accepted as the truth. For others, the information might fill in, fill in large gaps and answer questions you may have, uh, excuse me, may have had, but never knew where to look. For me, it has been a rewarding process of dissolving illusions that I'd like to share with you. And that's just the opening uh, statement from, um, uh, what's his name? Um, I'm sorry, uh, I keep forgetting, uh, Roman Bistrionic. And um, chapter one of this book is amazing. Uh, I'm not even going to get into what Suzanne Humphreys had to say, but it's really, really interesting as well. I'll leave that for people that actually buy the book. Um, Chapter one is the not-so-good-old days. And it basically paints a picture that I had never heard of uh, in the years that I've spent in school, coach in high school and all that kind of stuff the history teacher you know we never i never heard any of this you know i heard a little bit about the dark ages about the uh, lack of sanitary conditions and stuff but believe it or not the 1800s were pretty much the same way in many large cities around the world Uh, london paris uh, new york chicago um they all had massive influxes of uh, population during those times. People were moving into the cities to find work from the countryside, and the uh, infrastructure wasn't able to keep up. And uh, chapter one of this book covers the squalor that you would find all over the place. You know, tenements that you had rooms that had absolutely no windows, no uh no no bathroom facilities you know one place you had uh, like 14 families sharing one toilet um just unbelievable conditions and i'm trying to find this one here yeah the conditions of the filth strewn alleys 
of courts and yards littered with rubbish of ill-smelling stables and manure boxes they uh, find their climax and part of their their cause in the accumulation of garbage um there's another one i thought that was the one that had there's one place where they were talking about um manure and feces and stuff building up you know two and three feet deep in the alleyways of a city of a part of new york in the winter <laughs> um it was just unbelievable and of course the food was really 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 bad uh for a lot of people uh public hall and sink sink supported only by string and flim- flimsy wooden props hall floor covered with fecal matter and sewage 1903 <laughs> um Unlike Londoners, most Parisians were still getting their water from in 1870 from fountains or water cellars and disposing of waste in court pits. Paris was a city of 85,000 cesspools. Many remained until after the First World War. Um, and these are quotes from newspapers and things like that. Animals dead and alive, dangerous and diseased. Uh, in manufacturing towns, factory chimneys spewed out soot and everything was covered with dirt and grime. Smoke was a major ingredient of the famous London fog, which not only reduced visibility but posed serious health risk. Refuse, including rotting corpses of dogs and horses, littered city streets. In 1858, the stench from sewage and other rot in London was so putrid that the British House of Commons was forced to suspend its sessions. (laughs) The suffering caused to animals by present system of slaughtering and a source of plain and annoyance, a pain and annoyance to all persons living near these establishments. The animals are seldom fed from the time they arrive until they are killed, and constantly give express. Excuse me, give expression to their suffering. In other words, they're baying out and all kinds of stuff. Many slaughterhouses are located in the center of blocks of high tenement houses and the business of slaughtering as viewed from the adjacent windows is in the highest degree demoralizing in its effect on the young so in other words kids are able to watch these animals being killed nearly every city from the national capital to some uh, building or budding western porkopolis had had its had its uh, hog nuisance or some evident some equivalent the streets squares and parks amounted to public pens, hog holes offending the eyes and nose at every turn. In the fall of 1853, porkers were more numerous on the streets than in Springfield, Illinois, than in the pens at the state fairgrounds. The nearby town of Urbana had a record of more hogs than people, and they had at least equal rights with citizens upon the streets. Uh, kill your rats and this is an ad put out by the women's league women's municipal league of boston kill your rats there are two million rats or more in boston causing annual damages of 70 million dollars and jeopardizing the lives property and prosperity of our city fifty dollars to the person bringing in the greatest number of dead rats on tuesday february 13th 1917 between 7 a.m and 6 p.m to city sanitary yards at rutherford avenue charleston atlantic avenue north grove street albany street and highland street roxbury one hundred dollars to the person who brings the greatest number of any one in the city (laughs) and again this is from the women's municipal league of boston $50 
The same thing was going on in New York. Um, they were having all kinds of problems with rats, and they were trying to get people to go out and kill them. <laughs> Amazing situations. And uh, the last one I'm going to cover here is a talk about the food. Um, and let's see, people often consume nutrient-deficient diets and contaminated food that left them weak and susceptible to disease. This 1865 report talks about the deplorable state of food in the city of New York. Decayed and diseased foods were often sold to working classes, which left them in weakened physical condition. And here's the actual quote from the article. The quality of the food sold at the corner and butcher's shops in this neighborhood deserves a more extended notice than it can receive here. A casual examination shows much of it to be unfit for human sustenance. Unwholesome meat, particularly slunk veal, or flesh from the fetus of a calf, found during the slaughter of its mother. In other words, the mother was pregnant, they didn't know it, they found the calf and they used that, that meat as, uh, for veal, is constantly vended and consumed. Piles of pickled herrings are exposed to the air till the mass approaches a condition of putridity, and the slimy food and this slimy food with uh, wilted and decayed vegetables, sausages not above suspicion, and horrible pies, are composed of uh, stale and unripe fruit, whose digestion no human stomach can accomplish. All find ready purchasers. These decaying animals and vegetables remain remains are daily entombed in the protuberant stomachs of thousands of children whose pallid expressionless faces and shrunken limbs are the familiar attributes of childhood in these localities that's the kind of stuff that was going on in the 1800s early 1900s in not just this country but abroad as well london paris and those kind of places and those conditions are where the toxins, not germs, but toxins come from that cause these illnesses. And again, it was because the infrastructure couldn't keep up with the number of people moving into the big cities. Once the infrastructure started catching up and we had better food, better water, better sanitary conditions, all of those toxins basically were, were gotten rid of. And as a result, the diseases started dropping. And that's why we ended up with, you know, a 90 plus percent drop in uh, deaths from these so-called uh, terrible childhood infections before, years before, decades before vaccines were rolled out. I think it was 1963 that the uh, measles vaccine was rolled out in the U.S. And by that time, death from measles had already dropped by 98%. And still the American Murder Association, Big Pharma, the news media, the government, all chime in and say that if it wasn't for vaccines, we'd still have these terrible death rates. Absolute bull. There is no truth whatsoever to any claim that vaccines ever got rid of any disease. And this book is proof of it. That's why I, uh, I highly recommend it. Again, it's called Dissolving Illusions. And the subtitle is Disease, Vaccines, and the Forgotten History by Suzanne Humphreys and Roman Bistrionic. 
So, that being said, I apologize, Nick. Normally, when I open up uh, Jitsi, I go in and uh, set the settings and um, make sure that everyone is muted when they first come in. And uh, I screwed up today. I was in a big hurry and didn't do that. <laughs> and as a result, uh, something's in the way here. I can't get to my controls. Hmm. Things are... Oh, there we go. I didn't scroll down far enough. In case anybody else comes in, I've got it set now so that when, when people first come in, they're automatically muted. That was my mistake. Uh, I'm assuming it's Nick, even though it says Vicky. <laughs> what do you think about that? Was it boring? <laughs> you can unmute by clicking the little button, the microphone button down there in the left corner. If you can. If not, that's okay. Um, I'm scrolling through this uh, website here. And again, this is the website for the book and for the authors. Um, it's called uh, DissolvingIllusions.com. I put the link in the chat rooms for both um, Jitsi and Free Conference Call. Um, the book is... Uh, oh, goodness. I think it was like $20 for the hard copy and about $10 for the... Uh, uh, Kindle version. I got both of them the other day, and of course, the Kindle I had instantly. I was reading it uh, the other night, and my uh, my hard copy came yesterday, which was the day after I ordered it. And uh, I can't wait to really dig into this thing. Um, their overview says it wasn't long ago when infections plagued the Western world: smallpox, scarlet fever, measles, typhoid, diphtheria, whooping cough, and other diseases were once considered a tragic part of life. Starting in the mid-1800s, there was a steady drop in the deaths from all of these infectious diseases, decreasing by the mid-1900s to very low levels. The elimination of these, this, these diseases is one of the most amazing yet unsung public health revolutions in history. That journey from disease cesspools to our modern world is a, is a tale of plagues and famine, crushing poverty and filth, lost cures, individual freedoms, versus state uh, might, protests and arrests, and much more. Dissolving Illusions points a historic portrait uh, with uh, quotes from the pages of long-overlooked medical journals, books, newspapers, and other sources to reveal a startling history that has been disregarded. With this historic information and origina originally researched data in the form of mis-shattering graphs, Dissolving Illusions shines new light on the issues that are assumed to be clear-cut and settled long ago. And, you know, people, you know, he's asking the question, why was this stuff overlooked? You know, the answer is follow the money. It's always follow the money. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a sad situation. But if, and I'm going to close out this, um, uh, stop sharing this, Basically, what it boils down to, and I've got to share it, stop it over here too. Uh, do, 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 there we go. Alrighty. Um, what it boils down to, it basically, is that, and I've I've covered this numerous times in the past with the uh, with the germ theory. With the germ theory, you know, the, the germ theory basically causes people to believe that germs make you sick. 
that you get sick because you got some virus or some bacteria or some, you know, quote unquote germ. What is a germ? <laughs> you know, that's the whole thing. Um, people talk about good bacteria and bad bacteria. You know, bacteria is bacteria. They talk about, you know, things that, oh, you got this thing and it, it made you it made you sick. Well, how did it make you sick? You know, that's a theory that has never been proven. And again, I go back to the uh, one of the best examples is the so-called Spanish flu of 1918, where there were doctors that were trying at that point to prove the germ theory. They were trying to, um, what do I say? Um, I made a mistake of looking at the chat and <laughs> it kind of threw me off. Uh, basically, they were trying to show that, you know, uh, putting people, you know, healthy people or at least uh, disease-free people in front of uh, sick people, um, they were trying to show that they, the, the healthy people or the well people would get sick. And they were not able to do it. They had volunteers from the Naval, um, uh, what do you call it, um, detention center, uh, who basically they would take 10 guys that were not sick, put them face-to-face -face with someone who was, who had the Spanish flu, and they would, you know, cough in their faces. They would sneeze in their faces. They would take sputum from those guys and inject it into the guys. They would draw blood from the sick people and inject it into the well people. And no matter what they did, with all the people involved in that experiment, not a single one ever got sick. They tried the same thing with animals. They had horses that were sick, and they would have them coughing and snor sneezing into these, uh, you know, like feed bag kind of things. They'd take it off and put it on a healthy horse, and the healthy horse wouldn't get sick. You know, and it goes further and further. You know, there's so many different things. There was a, a husband and wife team that were both doctors who never wore face masks. They um, never took the vaccines and went from house to house. They spent their days uh, caring for sick people with the Spanish flu in just terrible conditions and never got sick. As a matter of fact, the only people that got sick and died were the people that had taken the vaccines. Imagine that. And, but the bottom line is, when you can keep people scared, you know, you scare them about germs. Look what's happened over the years. We now have, um, you know, everybody on their kitchen sink. You have antimicrobial or antibacterial dishwashing liquid you have antibacterial hand soap you have clorox wipes you have um, hand sanitizer all of these things have sprung up out of the germ, germ theory billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars are made every year because people are germaphobes they're scared of getting sick from germs and it goes on you know that's just the external um, businesses involved you know rubber gloves face diapers those kind of things but then you get into the so-called medical community and they've got all their um, over-the-counter drugs they've got their you know prescription drugs they've got their bioweapons known as vaccines all of those things have come out of the germ theory None of those things would ever have arised, arise, arisen 
if people believe the truth, which is the terrain. Well, they call it the terrain theory for the same reason, because, you know, those kind of things are they're very difficult to prove, uh, especially scientifically uh, through experimentation. But more and more information is coming out that the terrain theory is correct and the germ theory is wrong. The problem is that information is being squelched. You know, like I said, the two books I'm reading right now deal with it specifically. Uh, one book that I've read and I have as a free download on my website, uh, The Contagion Myth. Uh, that's if you go to my website, yourdiyhealth.com, click on the support info tab and scroll down. It's, it's got a maroon cover with white print. It's called The Contagion Myth. And there's a free PDF. You can download it. Well worth the read. Uh, they do a great job in dispelling the germ theory and showing how it's the terrain, which means taking care of your body. You know, in other words, the terrain of the people in the 1900, early 1900s had improved dramatically from the, to the early to mid-1800s. You know, instead of living in squalor and filth in uh, rooms that had no windows, no light, no ventilation, um, and walking around in feces and other garbage and being around dead and decaying animals in the streets and that kind of stuff. You've got clean streets, you've got clean water, you've got sanitation, you've got sewer systems or septic systems, you've got good food. And in other words, you've cleaned up your terrain. And as a result, guess what happened? All the disease went away by 98%. That's what we're talking about. And again, it's all about money. Because the germ theory makes money for Big Pharma, the American Murder Association, and indirectly the media, because the largest advertisers on television during non-election years are big, you know, is the pharmaceutical companies. And the government, because they make money by having departments of health and all that kind of junk and, you know, more taxes. All of that stuff comes out of a unproven theory. And if, like I said, we had replaced that with terrain theory, which deals with the individual basically keeping, you know, avoiding the crap in the food, crap in the water, crap in the air, and eating good stuff taking supplements, giving their bodies things that they need and stay away from the bad things, their terrain would be clean and they wouldn't be sick. And I've been practicing this for quite some time. I haven't, I haven't had the flu in over 50 years. Why? Because the flu is not something you get from a virus. The flu is a seasonal detox. When your body gets loaded up with crap from the food, the water, and the air, and now electromagnetic frequencies, when your body gets loaded up with that stuff, sooner or later it has to purge it. It has to get rid of those things. And that's when the vomiting, the diarrhea, the fevers, and everything else come in. But if you eat good food, stay away from the bad stuff, if you supplement and give your body the things it needs so it can function properly, you have to remember everything happens at the cellular level. Cellular respiration, which is the process of the good stuff going in and the bad stuff going out of your cells, when they can do that on a daily basis, they can get rid of the junk every single day. 
smoothly, quietly, without any knowledge or anything, because it just happens automatically. But when you don't give the cells what they need, they get bogged down. And then all of a sudden, they get plugged up with stuff because they can't take out the trash. And then eventually, they have to purge in what's known as colds and flus, COVID, and that kind of thing. That's where all this comes from. And the simple process of cleaning that process up would save so much money and so much agony, so much sick time at jobs. You know, I back uh, when I was on the police department, I only, I think in 16 years, I had maybe two sick days while other guys were sick all the time. I mean, they would use up all the sick time they had. When I retired, I my last day of actually working was July 15th of 1995. And between sick time, vacation, and comp time, I was able to be paid all the way through the end of January 1996. You know, basically six or seven months because I had all that stuff build up and never, and it was mostly sick time. Um, I had like five weeks of vacation and probably a month or so of comp time. And all the rest was my sick time that I'd never used over the years. And it paid me all the way through the end of the, you know, when my pension was approved. There were other guys when they retired, <laughs> they didn't have anything left. They couldn't roll, you know, they could, they couldn't, they weren't covered at all. They were without pay until their pension was approved and kicked in uh, bad deal. But the thing is, is, you know, there's so much time off taken because people are always sick. Now, a lot of it is more san, uh, sanity days, we used to call them, where you weren't sick, but you called in sick anyway, just so you could get some time off and recoup. But um, actual days of being sick, I think I took two in 16 years. And um, that's the kind of thing that you know it's just one more expense for society and government and all that kind of stuff but you know the bottom line is if you take care of things it's just like doing maintenance on your car you know if you never if you buy a car and just drive it and all you ever do is put gas in the tank it's not going to run very well for very long but if you change if you use the do the regular maintenance schedule change the oil change the transmission fluid um, have it lubed and tuned up and that kind of stuff the car's going to run a whole lot better for a whole lot longer your body's the same way you got to take care of it and by doing that you'll be amazed and the funny thing is it's so empowering once you realize that you don't have to be afraid of the grandkids that are you know got snotty noses and whatnot that are running around and I've seen people, I know people personally who, you know, they had their, their grandkids came over, they had snotty noses and all this stuff. They were climbing all over grandpa and he says, I'm going to get sick. And he did, but it wasn't from the grandkids. It was from his mind. You've heard of psychosomatic illness. He thought that the germs those kids were carrying would get would make him sick so he got sick all in his mind 
And how do you prove that? Well, guess what? Those same kids are around me on a regular basis, too. I see them, you know, two, three times a week at church. And I'm picking them up, hugging them, and, you know, saying hi to them and all that kind of stuff, you know, in contact with them. And I never get sick. And I'm in contact with other people, you know, hugging them at church and, you know, people that have COVID and all this other stuff. Never got sick. Now, how is it? If germs make you sick, how is it one person can be in contact with them and they get sick and another person can be in contact with them and they don't get sick? It's because it's not the germs. It's this, the fear of the germs in your mind. The mind is a powerful, powerful thing. And I've mentioned this before. There are, there are reports and uh, cases where People got locked in uh, refrigeration cars on railroad tracks, you know, playing around and the door closed and they're stuck in there. They realize it's a reefer car, but it's not turned on. And they think they're going to freeze to death because they can't get out. Temperature inside the car never dropped below 50 to 50 degrees. But when the doors were open and they were found, they had frozen to death. Not because it was so cold, because their mind said you're going to die you know guys in the military they get shot in the arm a, a very survivable wound you know something that just a, a bandage could take care of but in their mind because they have been led to believe if you get shot you're gonna you're dead and they died they went into shock and died because their mind said they were going to not that the physical conditions made it that way, but their mind made it that way. And that's the difference between being afraid of things you can't see. That terrible germ, the wee beastie that makes you sick. As opposed to, I have done everything I can to keep my body healthy, to provide for it so that it can take out the trash as it needs to and stay healthy. And I don't have to worry about germs because germs don't make you sick. And it's so empowering knowing that you can be around people that have snotty noses and they're coughing and wheezing and hacking and sneezing. And it's not going to affect you. Because that's not what makes you sick. It's internal, it's toxins that have to be purged from your body that causes these things we know as cold and flu. And it just makes such a difference. And again, that's proof that the germ theory is bogus and the terrain theory is correct. And I highly recommend also, um, let me see if I can get a link here real quick. I thought I had one on my, uh, no, I don't. Hmm. Well, we will just make sure this didn't start playing. Okay, <laughs> I have to watch. I've got so many browser windows open that every once in a while I hit a, a video or something. And even though I have my stuff set not to play automatically, sometimes they do. Um, but I'm looking for... Uh, da, 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 da. Let's see. Oops. Um, Space Busters is a uh, group out there I, guess, I don't know i think it's a single guy but i'm not positive and um, 
they do a lot of stuff on the, the terrain theory and that kind of stuff. And probably the best video they've done is called The End of the Germ Theory. It's two hours and 34 minutes long. And I put in the link in the chat room for both uh, Jitsi and uh, free conference call. It's a free video. Go and watch it anytime you want. But it is absolutely fantastic. If you can watch that video and still believe that germs make you sick, you know, quite honestly, there's no hope for you. <laughs> just go back to sleep and uh, watch CNN and just forget it. Don't ever tune into this show again because <laughs> it's not going to do you any good. This video is amazing. And what's really cool about it, they cover the the doctor couple that were you know going from house to house and house to house constantly during the uh, spanish flu and never got sick they also talk about um a pair of uh, i think they were russian siamese twins who were joined i think at the hip they had separate torsos but they had just you know one pair of legs i believe something like that masha and dasha i believe their names were and they shared a circulatory system, so the, all, the blood circulated through both of them. And oddly enough, one of them would get sick a lot. The other one was almost never sick. And if the one got, you know, they were never sick at the same time. But one would get ill with something, and then the other one would be just fine. The oddly, you know, the same thing, you know, the strange thing is, if they're sharing the same circulatory system, how is it? that the one didn't get sick when the other one was. You know, that shoots down the germ theory again, too. You know, it's really weird how these things work out. Um, but they cover all that stuff in this video, and uh, it's really worth watching. Uh, fantastic video. I've watched it a couple times, and they've got a lot of other things. They have one that uh, is basically in 19 minutes dispels the, the the covid myth and it's a it's a quickie version i guess you could say how it shoots down the germ theory uh via covid and um, it's really good too um let me see if i can find well let's just do it this way um <laughs> nuts uh <laughs> I mess things up here on my search. Anyway, check out the uh, Space Busters and the End of the Germ Theory. It is good. And it's well worth uh, viewing and sharing with anybody who you think has ears to hear and eyes to see. You know, it's funny because the you know just like um, the gentleman uh, uh, Roman Bistrionic was saying in his uh, introduction to the book, how people can get sucked into something just because people um, in authority, so to speak, whether it's government people, you know, look what happened when, when Fauci came out saying, you know, we've got this terrible disease and it's going to be deadly and everything. You know, the truth is it had like a 99.7% survival rate or something like that. Hardly hurt any. It was no worse than the seasonal flu. And, People don't get freaked out over the seasonal flu anymore because they know it's no big deal. But this thing had to be made different. And it was all done through 
constant lying over the media and constant hand wringing and kind you know we gotta we gotta do we gotta shut things down we gotta you know wear face diapers you know we have to socialist distance all these things that they came up with to continue the fear about something that was no more deadly than the seasonal flu granted if you had you know other complications or contraindications or uh, lots of problems just like with the seasonal flu you know, you were more susceptible, more the more chance that it could kill you. But for the average person who, you know, was generally healthy, so to speak, even though most people aren't, um, it was no big deal. You get through it with no problem. And that's what was so interesting to watch when this was going on was that people were so easily scared and and uh convinced to comply with whatever the government and the news media and whoever put out there fauci lied people died you know all that stuff because they have been led to believe their entire life in a lie that germs make you sick you know, if you could, just like if you could see the electromagnetic fields around you, it would mind, blow your minds. All the energy that's flowing back and forth constantly around us from radio, TV, um, internet, you know, cell phones, all that stuff. If, if you could see it, you'd, be go, you'd go crazy over it. Well, the same thing's true if you could see all the bacteria and all the little things, the dust mites and all the little things that are so small you can't see them. If you could see all that stuff, you'd run screaming and, you know, you'd never get out of the shower because you'd see the stuff on your skin crawling around and it'd freak you out. Well, guess what? We've got that stuff. We're surrounded with that stuff 24-7, 365. Every time you take a breath, breath that stuff goes up your nose. <laughs> you know, dust mites, you know, bacteria, whatever. And the thing is, is 99% of the time, it doesn't have any, you know, doesn't have any effect on you at all. It's not, you know, people think of bacteria as something terrible. And the thing is, I keep saying, if people, you know, when you, when you look at it from the germ theory aspect, that bacteria, germs, whatever, make you sick. You should automatically think the same kind of thing when you see firemen at a fire. You should say, those firemen made that fire. Because every time I go to a fire, there's firemen there. And those firemen must have set that fire, made it burn. Because when you look at somebody who's sick, you must, must have got some germ. Well, wait a minute. Firemen aren't there starting the fires usually you know every once in a while there's a little off the wall guy who you know sets a fire so he can come in be a hero and uh, and put it out but the vast majority of firemen are are good guys they're there to put fires out and help people well guess what bacteria are the same way they're not there starting the fires or starting making you sick they're there to clean up the mess they're there to help get you healthy again Bacteria just eat up viruses, which are nothing more than dead bacteria, you know, bits, 
they're little parts of of, of decomposing you know bacteria and, and you know other little things and they're just there cleaning them up they don't make you sick they help keep you healthy you know when when someone gets a sore throat they go to the doctor and the doctor swabs their throats oh you got strep throat because there's strep bacteria here well you know if that same person would go to the doctor when they didn't have a sore throat and they'd swab it guess what they'd find strep bacteria <laughs> it's there all the time and if there's there in larger numbers it's not there because it's making you sick it's there to help clean up the problem it's just the way you look at the situation and there's more proof that that's the case than there is for the things making you sick it's how you look at it and how you train your mind. And once you train your mind properly with the facts rather than the lies of government and Big Pharma and the American Murder Association, you'll find that you're not as sick anymore. If you go, go along at the same time and clean up your terrain. If you stop eating the bad foods, all the crap, all the junk food stuff. And you start eating good foods and you start supplementing and you give yourself some uh, terahertz frequencies. When you do that kind of thing, things get better. And it's, it's very empowering, very enlightening. I was talking to a guy, a friend of mine at church, you know, he's 85 years old. And uh, I get a kick out of him because he's wants to learn about the truth. He wants to know what's going on. And when I talk to him whether it's things in government or you know history or health type things he just makes his head explode because he's never heard these things before and i started talking to him the other day about the germ theory and i says you know germs don't make you sick what he says how come you know with, you know when someone's sick at home and then you get it i said you know people that live together do a lot of things together they tend to eat the same things, which means they're getting the same toxins into their bodies. They're uh, doing pretty much the same, you know, they're good, good bit, you know, the good stuff in or the bad stuff in, whatever the case is. And, you know, when one person is needing a detox, the other one probably is too. And then the mental aspect of it uh, goes along with it as well. I said, look at what happens when you have uh, a bunch of women living together. Their menstrual cycles tend to synchronize. It's just what happens when people live in groups. And if one person gets sick, the other one, you know, between their mind and the, everything they've done together, they're, you know, they're all ready for uh, detoxes. You know, I got a text yesterday from one of the guys at church. You know, he's got a family of 12. <laughs> 10 kids, two parents. And the last couple of weeks, they haven't been at church on Wednesday night because yep, a couple of the kids got colds or they got this or they got that. And it just, you know, cycles through. And it's not that they're passing the germs around. It's that they all live together. They all consume the same things. They all get toxified in the same rates and they all have to detox. You know, they might be a week or two apart, which, you know, makes it look like, well, so-and-so got it and passed it on to somebody else. No, they, that's not what happened. They're just all living together. They're slightly off sync, but they all have to detox. 
And once in a while, you know, if it gets through, everybody's done detoxing and then they're good for another six months or so. And then it happens all over again. You know, it's, it's, it's all in how you look at it. But anyway, let's see here. Uh, okay, well, which it did. Fortunately, it's a sunny day and there's a lot of work we have to do outside before. <laughs> oh, going up to Michigan or going up to New York, Canada. No, it's never boring. <laughs> I know about some of it. Uh, I guess that when the name Black shows, the name and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was Nick. Okay. Just had to read something he put in the chat. Um, let's shift gears a little bit here. See what's going on in the news. Um, FBI bye-bye Durham report makes it clear FBI should be defunded or disbanded because it cannot be reformed. No kidding. You know, that's the thing. We've got all these federal agencies that there's really no federal authority for them, no constitutional authority for them. You know, it's, uh, it's sad. The FBI is an agency that really has, you know, the U S marshals is probably the closest thing to having constitutional authority. But the FBI, nope. ATF, nope. Um, you name it. All these bureaucratic entities that have been given law enforcement, IRS, nope. <laughs> um, none of these groups should be out there. They shouldn't be funded. They shouldn't exist. And they should all be shut down. But that ain't going to happen. Top seven ways that gender-fluid liberals can cancel culture enthusiasts are wrecking the moral fiber of our youth. <laughs> They're just, just, I don't even want to look at that. It just makes me sick. Food collapse coming. Ongoing drought forces farmers to abandon wheat crops. You know, you got California that's having flooding all over the place now. And other parts of the country are having droughts. And, you know, if you're not storing things up what are you thinking you're going to be part of the problem and rather than part of the solution there's so much stuff out there now indicating that there's going to be some you know and this is planned the, there's no question in my mind that everything that's going on has been planned by the people that are controlling things they're doing everything they can to destroy the infrastructure of this country You've got a southern border that's wide open. Millions of people are streaming across. And instead of being sent back, they're being given everything free at the expense of the U.S. taxpayers. If you're still paying taxes, what are you thinking? You're funding this crap. The only way to stop it is to cut the head off the snake, to stop funding it. And if the government won't do it, we've got to do it. You know, people need to stand up as a whole and say, as long as this government and this border's open, I ain't paying nothing. Because I'm not paying for everybody else and his brother to come in here. You know, I'm, I'm in a situation, I'm 65. I cannot get health insurance because every insurance company out there, once you turn 65, you're forced to Medicare. And the only thing I got is Medicare Part A, which is hospitalization. I was turned down for Part B with no explanation, no reason why, no nothing. And because of that, my pension won't pay for anything else. You know, even the, the so-called Christian health share things, most of them won't pay for anything other than what Medicare won't pay for. 
and you've got to pay out of your pocket for it. I've got a pension that pays a stipend for Part B and uh, the add-ons, but now that I've been denied Part B, I can't get the add-ons either, and they won't pay for anything else. So I'm in a position where I have nothing other than hospitalization. You know, not that I would go to, you know, you know, I, I don't really care otherwise because it, you know, the only thing that stuff pays for is, is allopathic medicine. And I'm not going there unless I've got a trauma case. But if I, you know, accidentally, you know, fall off the roof or break an arm or, you know, something like that, and I end up at an urgent care or an ER, that's on me. And it's because I've been forced into a system that I had nothing to do with where private entities won't cover you once you hit 65 because you got to be on the government system. And the government system turned me down. So as far as I'm concerned, if something like that happens, you know, they got to treat you. I'll go in there and when they said, here's the bill, I said, send it to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue or whatever the address is for the Capitol building in Washington. You know, if they're going to give everything under the sun free to every illegal person that comes across the southern border, then no habla. <laughs> you know, I got no problem, no qualm doing that. You know, if they're going to give everything away free, you know, cell phones, travel, airlines, bus tickets, um, you name it, to every illegal person that criminal felon that comes across the southern border and every single person that comes across that border is a felon period because it's a felony to crash our borders you know if they're going to support felons with tax dollars they can support me too by golly and i got no qualms but you know that's the kind of situation we're in they're destroying everything in this country uh, the people that live here that are paid into the system, been a part of it, been productive members of society, get screwed and get kicked aside. You know, they're kicking um, uh, disabled vets out of, of out of housing areas so that they can put, you know, illegal criminals in. That's absolutely disgusting, and there's no, no call for it. And it's all because we've got people like George Soros and, and Klaus Schwab running things and and uh, the puppets like Biden, who just go along with it all, and the morons in Congress. I'm sorry. It's crazy. Anyway, let's see here. Dennis Quaid wants Texas to replace California as the world's film capital. <laughs> oh, geez. Leak Doc Zelensky planning to blow up. Druzba pipeline connecting Russia and Hungary. They need to get rid of that goober. Zimbabwe defies IMF sells gold-backed digital tokens to stabilize volatile currency. <laughs> I've got since some Zimbabwe currency. It's like hundred trillion or something is the note. It's amazing. Of course, they've been it was shut down in two thousand eight. I think it was, and they use dollars now, if I'm not mistaken. Analysis of mummified kids in ancient Egypt reveals a third of them suffered from anemia. Hmm. No surprise. Will hack reporter Leslie Stahl ever apologize to America and President Trump after she is caught lying to American public about Hunter Biden's laptop? No. 
<laughs> liberals never apologize. They're always guilty. They're always the ones wrong, but they they never have to pay for what they've done. Uh, Elon Musk, Anti-Defamation League should drop the A in ADL. <laughs> Definitely, because they're the Defamation League. <laughs> FBI contractor created fake online IDs to join chat rooms run by groups organized against vaccine mandates. Yeah, the FBI had uh, a group out there. It was basically they were they were originally set up to go after you know external you know terrorisms from other terrorists from other countries. But of course, the FBI swung swung things around and started using them against people who were talking bad about uh, jabs and you know about the pandemic and all that kind of stuff you know just another reason the fbi should be shut down the federal bureau of incrimination and incineration and incarceration Biden's irs removes investigative team probing hunter's tax problems and what the lawyers call retaliation <laughs> oh good grief everybody thought old hunter was going to be in trouble what were you thinking John Durham finds Obama, Biden were briefed on Trump-Russia collusion hoax and allowed contrived investigation anyway. No surprise there. Again, they're liberal. They can do whatever they want and never have to pay for it. Never forget, Democrats wanted the uninjected fired from their jobs, thrown in prison for rejecting COVID jabs. Yeah, and so did a lot of Republicans. But let's see what they're saying now. The era of the Wuhan coronavirus, COVID-19, is finally over. Yeah, right. Except for, if, you know, unless you're uh, somebody trying to come into the U.S. legally. And it's funny, illegal people who are, you know, diseased and scummy and all kinds of junk can come across the southern border with no questions about health situations or anything. But if you're trying to come in to the U.S. on a vacation or something like that, but you're doing it legally, coming across the borders, going through immigration with your passport and everything. If you don't have a COVID jab, you can't come in. And that's still on the in the system. So it ain't over yet. Except for a few deranged diehards who are still choosing to wear a mask while driving alone or walking solitary through the local park. What is not over, though? are the repercussions that the COVID tyrants inflicted upon society, which need to be remembered and more importantly dealt with through the criminal justice system. Just because the Biden regime and other globalist power structures have suddenly decided that the COVID emergency has ended, which is convenient since the whole thing fell apart before they could salvage the narrative, does not mean that these criminals get to walk away scot-free. Oh, just wait. <clears throat> Untold millions of lives were destroyed because of this uh, ritualistic PSYOP, uh, which included the experimental mass drugging of the global population with a deadly chemical concoction known as COVID vaccines, bioweapons. There was, in fact, a time when the perpetrators were calling for those who rejected this drugging to be jailed or even killed for resisting the effort to save lives. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, those people didn't get the real McCoy. Yeah, you know, they were given a placebo or a saline solution or something. Unfortunately, uh, otherwise, within two to five years, we wouldn't have to be dealing with them anymore. Remember, in early 2022, when a Rasmussen poll found that a majority of demon rats 
thought that the uninjected should be locked up at home and fined until they agreed to get jabbed. Well, guess what? <laughs> Good luck trying that one. Most demon rats also wanted the uninjected to be imprisoned, if necessary, to force their compliance. One in three demon rats also said at the time that they believe unvaccinated parents should have their children forcibly removed from their homes by the government, while others promoted the idea of throwing vaccine resistors into government-run quarantine camps, also known as concentration camps. Remember when the VIEW hosts called uninjected Americans a scum? Sadly, about, I don't know because I never watched that stupid show, Sadly, about one in four Republicans also told Rasmussen that uninjected Americans should be fine, locked up at home, and sent to a concentration camp when they agreed, until they agreed to obey. See? De you know, Republicans ain't any better. Which makes uh, many of them criminals just like the demon rats. The idea of health freedom and medical choice is apparently lost on a sizable portion of the population, which somehow still believes that government authorities have the rightful power to rule over their subjects like tyrants. Well, if you're a subject, they do. You just don't be a subject. The United States Constitution permits no such thing, and it is time we, the people, remind the others of this whenever we get the chance. And again, all of this is happening because people are brain-dead, spoon-fed, and brainwashed into believing lies and never take the time to investigate for themselves to find the truth, just like the author Roman Bistrianic said. As another reminder of what the left, which apparently includes some Republicans, thought about the uninjected, check out this clip below from The View, uh, in which the uninjected are referred to as scum. Well, let me get this set up so you can see it here. Do, do, do. And where is... Boom, boom, boom. That's the only downside of doing this on both um, Jitsi and Free Conference Call. It's a little time-consuming. Where is it? Um, hmm. I think that's it. Yep, there we go. All righty then. Here we go. Just waiting for it to play. When the chips are down. And of course, we got these ads. Uh, these civilized people. Wait until we get past this uh, commercial. Vaccinated who are the. You are the problem. It is the unvaccinated who are the problem, period, end of story. The only people that you can blame, the only people you can blame, this isn't shaming, this is the truth, maybe they should be shamed, are the unvaccinated. It's time to start blaming the unvaccinated folks, not the regular folks. Anyone you came into contact with will blame you as will the rest of us who have done the right thing by getting vaccinated. Because frankly, we know that we can't trust the unvaccinated. I think it's time to get our moral house in order, Anderson. It's the unvaccinated who are the threat. All those vaccinated folks are going to start wearing masks to protect the unvaccinated folks. It's called 
a Christian value. You're basically punishing the vaccinated uh, for the the sins of the unvaccinated. People are not behaving honorably. The unvaccinated are basically saying, well, it's open season for me. I can do whatever I want as well. The, the unvaccinated are basically beating their breasts, running around the country saying, ha ah, ha, we don't care. We're living free and so forth. You've been patient. But our patience is wearing thin. The unvaccinated, a group that includes children and people acting like children. And the rest of us are starting to get pissed off. The vaccinated feel the unvaccinated are making me upset or angry. This is not about freedom or personal choice. Well, my freedom is being kind of disturbed here. No, screw your freedom. The other day, Howard Stern weighed in with a much different approach. Take a look. <laughs> when are we going to stop putting up with the idiots in this country and just say, you now, it's mandatory to get vaccinated. Their freedom. But you're treading on our freedom and you're making other people sick and really you're killing other people. The anti-vaxxers, they seem to have a thing for death and home remedies. The anti-maskers turned anti-vaxxers are not just putting their own lives at risk. If that was the issue, we could just say that we can watch them compete to win place or show in the Darwin Awards. We have to start doing things for the greater good of society and not for idiots who think that they can do their own research. And don't get me started on the lunatics who won't take any of the COVID vaccines. Life is too short to be an ass. Life is way too short to be ignorant of the promise of something that is helping people worldwide. Maybe you're doing it because um, you're, you're disconnected or disorganized. Maybe you have some sympathetic psychological reasons. But maybe you're just being antisocial. Oh, you can't shame them. You can't call them stupid. You can't call them silly. Yes, they are. Those who are not vaccinated will end up paying the price. The unvaccinated should be taxed. Uh, they should pay more for health care. We need to start looking at the choice to remain unvaccinated the same as we look at driving while intoxicated. We're going to see, and I've said, almost mm -hmm. two types of America. Dr. Fauci said that if hospitals get any more overcrowded, they're going to have to make some very tough choices about who gets an ICU bed. I, that choice doesn't seem so tough to me. Vaccinated person having a heart attack? Yes, come right on in. We'll take care of you. Unvaccinated guy who gobbled horse goo rest in peace wheezy pointing back to the unvaccinated who are really creating a problem in this country every death that we are seeing from covid could have been prevented literally the only people dying are the unvaccinated and for those of you spreading misinformation shame on you shame on you i don't know how some of you sleep at night <laughs> yeah boy oh my goodness yeah and let's see here. Let's see. COVID retrospective series, volume one. The media, the unvaccinated are scum. I guess that wasn't an ad at the beginning. That was part of the <laughs> thing. It should also be noted that Rochelle Walensky, the head of the Centers for Disease Control, former head now, I think, uh, throughout the COVID scandemic saga, is an anti-science loon who claims that natural immunity does not exist, among, uh, among other bizarre claims. And uh, let's see here. Uh, Chief Nerd says, and this is a Twitter thing, Dr. Marty Macri roasts CDC Dr. Rochelle Walensky for ignoring natural immunity. Even worse, she dug into her position as the data were overwhelming even to this day. They're still ignoring natural immunity. And even at my university, you can't go to school without the primary. Now, let's see what this thing says. In October 2020, Rochelle Walensky, 
who would later become CDC director, co-authored a memorandum published in The Lancet that stated, quote, there is no evidence for lasting protective immunity to SARS-CoV-2 following natural infection, unquote. Was there any data at the time that would have supported her statement or refuted her statement? Well, first of all, the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. And she should have known that all other viruses yield natural immunity with ultra-rare exceptions, including the two other coronaviruses that cause severe illness in humans. Both were studied to have long-term immunity. So I think it was intellectually dishonest. But even worse, she dug into her position as the data were overwhelming, even to this day. The Yokovich Doctrine, in place yesterday in America, prevented teachers at federally funded schools from working. We won't allow people with natural immunity to work unless they have the full vaccine primary series. Well, guess what? We're hurting children from ignoring natural immunity. It's not historical. It's not looking back and blaming. It's right now. 160 schools in Missouri have gone down to a four-day school week because they don't have enough teachers. They've left. Hospitals are understaffed. Response times are longer for first responders, not because it's of a, a historical mistake. They're still ignoring natural immunity. Even at my university, you can't go to school without the primary vaccine. Even if you've had COVID three times and we're in the ICU with myocarditis, you still need to get the COVID vaccine. That is intellectually dishonest. That guy put it pretty well. You know, the interesting thing, and this is something you need to think about, if you go to a hospital today, you know, I, uh, a friend of mine just gave birth, um, I think it was last Sunday, and she was in a hospital, and they had policies where only one person, uh, basically her mom, was there in the uh, in the in the delivery room or area with her. Uh, only one person, one family member or somebody like that was allowed to be with her. Normally, you know, in the past you could have, you know, husband, wife, well, wife would always be there cause she's having the baby, but usually the mother or the husband. Um, but now they only allow one person. Now, once the baby's born, they allow more people in, but during labor, uh, they restrict you to one person that's left over from COVID. We would think about this also. The vast majority of hospitals in this country, I haven't heard of any others, so I would say the vast majority of hospitals in this country required all their staff to take the COVID jabs. And those that didn't, if they refused, they either left voluntarily or were fired. So just keep in mind that if you go to a hospital, you're going to be dealing with morons who were stupid enough to take these toxic jabs and could be transmitting spike proteins and other things from those jabs to you if you go to the hospital. And if they're stupid enough to risk their own health and lives as well as anybody they come in contact with, what else are they stupid enough to do or not do? You know, that's the thing that really makes me nervous about certain areas in public hospitals many uh other kind of facilities airline travel same kind of thing there 
you know, virtually all the airlines required all the pilots, all the flight crews to be COVID jabbed. So I still, you know, even though they have, you know, stopped all a lot of this stuff, I still don't want to fly because there have been countless numbers of pilots having heart attacks from myocarditis and other things dying or just, you know, passing out on the flight deck, you know, just after landing or in preparation. But luckily there was another, you know, a first officer that was able to take over sooner or later, you know, it's going to take some stars to be in alignment and a bunch of other things. But what happens when both of the qualified pilots on the flight deck, the pilot and the first officer, both have a cardiac event at the same time because they were both jabbed. What's going to happen then? <laughs> if you're on that plane, nice knowing you. Because chances are you're going to do a nosedive from 30,000 feet and few people recover from those. Not to mention being closed up in an aluminum tube with people walking up and down the aisle handing you, you know, your little cup of orange juice or whatnot and passing spike proteins to you because they were jabbed. You know, that's not a condition I want to put myself in. And dealing with people that have taken these things, you know, there is more and more uh, research out there showing that coming in contact with someone who was jabbed with a COVID jab uh, can be detrimental to your health. These these uh, spike proteins and other things are showing up in the blood of unjabbed people because they've been in contact with the jabbed people. And we're the problem. I am proudly, I will say this with the, from the top of the rooftop, I am proudly anti-vaccine. All vaccines. There is not a single vaccine on the face of the earth that I would ever take. Not rabies, not tetanus, not nothing. I will rely on my body, God's design, and natural things that work like a charm to deal with any illness I may come in contact with. I will never, ever, 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 ever take another vaccine as long as I live. And I won't recommend them for anybody else either. That may You may not agree, that's fine. But that's my choice. And I still have a right to exercise that choice and belief. You know, if you want to take the jabs, fine, go right ahead. That's up to you. But don't expect me to. And there is more and more mounting evidence now to show the anti-vaccine position is the correct one, especially when it comes to COVID. You know, the only people that are sick and dying from COVID are COVID-vaccinated people. Proven fact. And these jabs have killed more people than the actual disease did. And it's just getting started. We have yet to see the end of this. May never see the end of it. Because one of the things that we haven't been looking at yet is how far along these things get passed from mother to child to the next child to the next child to the next child. Of course, chances are that line will probably stop long before that because, you know, they'll be so uh, messed up and so um, uh, infertile that they won't be able to reproduce anymore. But I would venture to say that anybody who is in the uh, genetic line of someone who's been jabbed 
is going to have health problems for as long as they live. Scary stuff. Anyway, in response to Walensky's false claims about natural immunity, one commenter had this to say, which sums it up nicely. Science is man-made. Well, <laughs> their science is man-made. Natural immunity is God-made. I choose God. Amen, brother. <sighs> There's some crazy people out there. And I'll tell you what. If you still believe what you see on TV, <laughs> what are you thinking? You know, news media are just like politicians. How do you tell they're lying? Check to see if their lips are moving. Uh, if reelected, Trump promises to release all JFK assassination files. <clears throat> I believe that when I see it. Top six works worst addictions and how Mother Nature may have solutions and the medical establishment can put to good use. But they won't. <laughs> they don't want to fix addictions. You know, that's the whole that's the other thing about following the money with the medical establishment. The last thing they want to do is cure you. A patient cured is a customer lost. Simple as that. You gotta keep them sick so they keep coming back to you. That's the beauty of Chronic health conditions caused by nutritional deficiencies, as far as these people are concerned. Hey, Mark, good to see you, buddy. <laughs> Man, long time no see. Haven't heard, I haven't heard anyone who believes in vaccines or viruses support their position with facts. <laughs> because you can't. I'll tell you what. Get a hold of this book, Dissolving Illusions, man. I'll tell you what. That's something you can throw in people's faces. 95, 98% of all deaths from measles were, had reduced before, you know, before, long, long, long before the measles vaccine was ever rolled out. Uh, COVID is over. It's in the wake. And in its wake are 6 million avoidable deaths, 36 million vaccine deaths, 1.8 trillion down the drain for useless masks and tests. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. The Wuhan coronavirus pandemic is finally over, and all we got was tens of millions of needless deaths and a loss of $1.8 trillion, which was wasted on face diapers, PCR testing kits, and all sorts of other useless, tyrannical nonsense that destroyed what little remained of social cohesion and normalcy, which is exactly what they were trying to do. Ballpark figures compiled by Peter Halligan and on his Pete's newsletter Substack show that COVID now all now that all is officially said and done completely drained the economy of its lifeblood while callously ending the lives of millions upon millions of people in the name of public health. One major elephant in the room as far as the death counts go is that people were mostly still alive until the launch of Operation Warp Speed. Once that happened, and the injections started going into people's arms, deaths began to skyrocket. Yeah, thank you, President Trump. And I still hold you accountable for that. The data shows that as of December 30th, 2020, right as Operation Warp Speed was beginning or being launched, total deaths were still under 2 million, and those were inflated anyway. Those were people who tested positive after coming in from a motorcycle accident and died from their injuries and were listed as a COVID death, and on and on and on. One year later, in late 2021, however, the number of deaths recorded nearly tripled 
reaching 5,488,817. And one year after that, in December of 2022, the official death count ballooned to 6,714,164. The official government COVID protocols were all designed to kill people, not save them. Yep, thank you, Fauci. Fauci lied, people died. Using the worst possible uh, medication as a as a uh, uh, mandatory treatment, remdesivir, killed, 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 all kinds of people. Clearly and undeniably, the injections are to blame for the sudden and massive increase in deaths as, tw- as 2021 was beginning. Had the injections never been released, the death count would have been a whole lot less than what it became. To claim, as the government, the pharmaceutical industry, and the media still do, that COVID shots were effective in the light of all this is preposterous, unless they mean effective at depopulating the planet to a substantial degree, which is probably what they're saying because that's what they meant to do. Even before the launch of the jabs, the death count would have been smaller still. And tried and true remedies like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and natural things <laughs> had been allowed, uh, but they were not. Instead, patients were muzzled with ventilators and pumped up with remdesivir and other drugs, which in many cases resulted in death. Most cases. Just about everything on the official pro, uh, COVID protocol, from ventilators to face diapers to lockdowns to jabs, resulted in more death, not less. Had COVID been treated like uh, just another normal flu season, all the death and destruction would now the world saw would, would have been avoided. And that's true. They should have said, eh, no big deal. Just keep going. And it would have been a big hiccup. Maybe a little hiccup. Maybe as many as 85% of all deaths globally from COVID-19 were preventable from the May 2020 onwards, Halligan reported, noting that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine had already been proven to be safe and effective prophylactics at the, uh, that very same month. The decision not to use the IVM and uh, ivermectin in HCQ treatments uh, protocols from May 2020 onwards cost around 6 million lives globally. Death by healer, iatrogenic death from remdesivir, medazolam, and morphine, ventilators, psychological and physical torture of the elderly and infirm in medical settings, failure to treat existing and emerging health conditions, non-COVID-19, uh, failure to prescri- uh, prescribe antibiotics, uh, World Health Organization vice, and uh, so on are included in COVID-19 deaths rather than just as murders. Halligan further broke down the numbers on uh, the costs of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine versus the costs associated with everything that was pushed instead of those two, these two safe and effective drugs, and the comparison is ghastly. To truly save lives with these remedies would have cost substantially less what it cost society to do all those other horrific things, which left in their wake a mountain of dead bodies and the total absolution of civilization, or, yep, absolution of civilization, civilization as we know it. Was it worth it? <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, been very busy between getting a new roof on the, ooh, and a new fence for our homeowners and all the meetings to get accomplished. It's <laughs> been a whirlwind. Also in Florida for the past week. Well, I hope you had fun down there. Now I have to get my garden in or Yeah, I need to do the same thing. I still got to get the front loader on my tractor so I can move some manure over there. 
I'm trying electroculture garden. Uh, hmm. Interesting. I'll have to find out about that. Anyway, that was a pretty interesting article. I'm going to put the link in the chat room and on the Telegram channel. Um, there's that. And where's the other chat room? There's that one. And Telegram. Boop. There we go. That's a pretty good article. Um, boy, we're down to about eight minutes. Goodness gracious. All righty. Um, 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 where did my... There we go. Let's see what else is on here. Where's that one? Hmm. Oh, I'll have to find it later. U.S. farmers abandoning failed wheat crops. Yep, covered that. Five illegal migrants on FBI's terrorist watch list arrested shortly after Title 42 expired. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, World Health Organization now trying to sexualize children at birth while UN pushes to decriminalize pedophilia. We should not be involved with either of those two organizations. That's one of the good things that Trump did was got us out of the World Health Organization. And of course, that moron, President Poopy Pants, took us right back in. Should have got us out of the UN, too. Need, need to kick the UN out of New York. Man, that's disgusting. Green shortage. Lack of lithium preventing Indonesia from becoming a global hub for electrical vehicles. Whoopee. <laughs> You know, that's the thing. There's not enough of that stuff around to even come close to accomplishing what all these morons in the green movement are pushing for with all electric vehicles. You're going to have to go back to Edison batteries to do that. But that might be worthwhile then. <laughs> you know, if a buddy of mine was telling me about uh, some history he was looking into, and this is years ago, back in the, I don't know how far back it was, but New York had electric cab cabs. Uh, and they were running on, like, I don't know if they were Edison batteries or what, but they had electric cabs back years and years ago and worked fairly well. But um, I haven't had a chance to look into it to see all the details. Let's see what's going on over here. Uh, do, do, do. The United States of America, largest sponsor of state terrorism in the world. Hmm. American torturers, FBI and CIA abuses the dark sites in Guantanamo. Oops. Let's go back to this one. Yeah. All right. Probably don't have time for the whole thing, but new reports been published this past week that details the United States torture program used primarily by the CIA called Enhanced Interrogation Techniques. Yeah. <laughs> used at Guantanamo Bay and other black sites. Report contains drawing by uh, drawings of Zion Al Abidin, Muhammad Hussein, A.K.A. Abu Zubadiah, <laughs> Zubaduba, whatever, a Saudi Arabian man who was the first prisoner brought to Guantanamo from Pakistan and tortured using EITs. The CIA and FBI now admit that whatever his name is was the wrong guy they were after oh great and allegedly even knew that before they tortured him but did so anyway so they could develop their torture techniques isn't that just wonderful and those groups should be allowed to exist i don't think so 
The report was published by Mark Denbo, a professor at Seton Hall Law School, and Dr. Jess Ghanem, a clinical professor of psychiatry and global health sciences at the University of California, San Francisco. And Mr. What's-His-Name himself and his drawings of many of the tortures used in EITs. Uh, you can download the entire report there if you want. Uh, I'll put the link in the chat rooms. Link. And we get to the other one here. All right. Meanwhile, um, if I can get this thing to come back. There we go. Um, warning, the drawings are extremely graphic and horrifying. Children should not be present if you choose to read the report. Ooh. The report notes that uh, the guy's drawings viscerally convey the brutal, brutal reality that the CIA sought to hide with its calculated destruction of video recordings of torture conducted by its agents and dovetail with the recent accounts of Dr. James Mitchell, the chief architect of the torture regime, who wrote a book... Um, who both wrote a book on EITs and testified in hearings on Guantanamo. These sources, together with a report from the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, provide the most complete and compelling account to date of America's torture program in the years after September 11, 2001, uh, attacks on the United States, uh, the publication states. Yeah. September 11, 2001 is when the United States attacked America. Uh, keep that in mind. Uh, uh, the report has received widespread media coverage in the corporate media. Click here to see the list, as well as the alternative media. This is just further evidence that the United States of America, particularly the CIA, is the largest uh, supporter of state terrorism in the world and not Middle Eastern Muslim countries who are constantly portrayed as terrorists in the U.S. media and entertainment industry. Hmm, that was a short one. I guess you have to look at the main, uh, the entire report, which I'm clicking on now just for the, just to see. American torturers, FBI and CIA abuses a dark site at Guantanamo. Um, download this paper. And, okay. Open PDF and browser. Let's see what it shows. Um, where's it? Wow. Looks like a pretty extensive report. Okay. Holy moly. Yeah, it looks like he was strapped to a gurney and waterboarded. Um, ooh. Looks like they're put in a box of some sort. Good grief. That would suck. Shackled with uh, leg irons and handcuffs. Naked. Holy smoke. Total immersion. Over time, the DOJ-approved technique of waterboarding evolved into a myriad of forms. The torturers used coffins for mock burials and confinement sessions. But as pictured below, they were also a common tool of water torture. On a traditional waterboard, the board angles downward so that the water cannot make its way down to the detainee's airways. In the coffin, the water reaches his nose, mouth, and then starts to move uh, strongly with distress while coughing off and drowning. Holy mackerel. This is some disgusting stuff. 
But uh, that's what our agents of our government do. Even the people who they know are not the right guys that they want to test just so they can perfect their technique. But we are out of time for today. We'll be back in an hour. Uh, same uh, same venue with uh, Mike and Cal and DW talking about constitutional things and history. You'll enjoy it, I'm sure. Otherwise, we'll be back Tuesday, same bat time, same bat channel uh, for another edition here. So take care of your bodies because it's the only place you have to live. We'll see you soon. Take care and God bless. Yeah.